prayed too much today yet? No? Okay, good, okay. Uh, so we're praying for that. Lord Jesus, would you come and would you, would you speak to us? God, there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to transform anyone, but Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can come and you can give us a vision for what our campuses can be like, what our communities can be like, and how best to glorify you in the way we treat each other. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that in this time together. We love you. Would you be honored here? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. My name is Bethany, and uh, my husband and I do Chi Alpha in South Carolina. Go birds. I'm a transplant South Carolina. I uh, kind of, I grew up mostly in San Antonio, Texas, where I went to school and uh, met, by the grace of God, some Chi Alpha small group leaders at UT San Antonio and um, changed my life forever, thanks to the Lord. So, okay, we're going to talk about a culture of honor. How many of you are familiar with that term? A lot of you. That's awesome. You guys are pros. Okay, so what's the point of a culture of honor? Uh, why fight to develop a culture where people prefer others over themselves? I think there are a few reasons. Firstly, Eli hit on this so well last night. It's really magnetic, right? It draws people in, and it brings awareness of God and sets us apart. Our counterculturalness in this area brings God glory because there's no way that in and of ourselves, like our flesh, would prefer other people. So when people see us doing that, it's like, mm, there's something different there. And we have an opportunity to point them to the Holy Spirit, right, who's doing that in us, and it glorifies God. So that's, you know, pretty special. The second reason is because it's the atmosphere of heaven. If you read through the book of Revelation, you see it over and over and over again. Heaven is just full of honor. You have God honoring the subtle. Everyone honors the sun. We still am who's on the throne, right? You have everyone honoring the sun. You have people honoring God. You have angels all around the throne just constantly singing holy, holy, holy and worthy. And you have, you know, you have just honor happening all over. You have God honoring martyrs. You have, you have so much honor happening. It's the atmosphere of heaven. We also see it in the Gospels. You see it over and over again. God honors the Son. The Son honors the Holy Spirit. Jesus is like, you can do anything to me, but if you blaspheme my boy, look out. It's like, it's the one thing that Jesus is like, not forgivable, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So Jesus honors the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit honors Jesus, right? He comes down on him like a dove. And within the Trinity, we see this community of honor happening. And it's the atmosphere of heaven. And then the next reason is that God tells us to. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans 12, it's kind of a big chunk. So if you have your Bible or your phone, you can follow along on. That might be helpful. So go into Romans 12. We're starting in verse 9, and we're going to read all the way to the end through verse 21. Okay, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's a lot there. But we see that in verse 10, we're told to honor other believers. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then in verse 17, we're, we're told to honor everyone. So it's not just for people within the body of Christ. We as believers are called to honor every single person. So this idea of honoring biblically, if you look at the Old Testament word for honor, it means to give weight. And if you look at the New Testament word for honor, it means to recognize the value. So if we put those two things together, it's giving weight by recognizing the value of someone or something. We show value by preferring others over ourselves. It is always healthy to bow. We say it all the time. It's healthy to bow. It's healthy to bow. It's healthy to say your will over mine, primarily to the Lord, but also to each other. In Genesis 18, God appears to Abram in Trinitarian form. And it says that Abram bows. And that word for bow is, I'm probably butchering this, but it's, it looks like shaka. In Genesis uh, 22, we go, you know, we fast forward a little bit. God appears to um, Abram again and says, you know that son I gave you? I want you to go up and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain. Which is so, um, it's just so significant. We could spend so much time there. Because Isaac is, it's the proof of the promise of God, right? God made this promise to Abram years prior. I'm going to make you... I'm going to make your, your family more than the number of stars you see in the sky. And Isaac is the fruition of that promise that Abraham and Sarah had waited on for so long. And then God says, you know that son, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him. And in that culture, in that day, people would make all these gods. They'd make all these idols. And the idea was if you worshipped a god or an idol, uh, they would give you what you want. And so the cultural norm was I worship this god that gives me what I want. And God is doing something totally different with Abraham here. He's saying, I don't want you to love me because I give you what you want. I want you to love me, whether you have this son that you think is the fruition of the promise or not. Anyway, so he tells Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham says, okay. And he takes his son and a servant with him, and they go to the mountain. And Abraham tells the servant, you wait here, the boy and I will go up to worship. And Josh, I think, mentioned this the other night uh, in one of the services, but that word translated to worship there, going up to worship, is the same word for bow. It's shaka, or shaka'a. It's a word that looks like that. And there are no instruments, there's no singing, there's nothing that's like our cultural idea of worship, but it's a willingness to bow. They're the same thing. It's a posture. It's bowing before God and saying, not my will, but yours be done. If you haven't read that story, no worries. 
God does not delight in child sacrifice. Isaac makes it. God provides someone different and does not want children sacrificed. So um, just, you should go read it. It's a good story. Um, just want to not leave you on a cliff there. There are postures that allow a person to grow close to God, and there are some that push him away. We see this in the Bible, right? In James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's healthy to bow. It's healthy for your dreams to bow to the Lord. I don't know what dreams you have for your life, but it's healthy for them to bow and say, not my will, but yours be done. It's healthy for your opinions to bow. This one's hard. I think our culture so has made critical thinking so valuable. And I've just started to wonder, is that the enemy who's made that so important? Because anyone can walk into a room and be critical. It's easy. You have strong opinions. Everyone does. It's just, it's really natural to walk into a room and be like, I don't like that, 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 or that. It's, it's pretty simple. But it takes a lot of intentionality and the Holy Spirit to walk into a room and look for what there is to honor. And say, this may not be my preference. This may not be my opinion. But I see the character of God in that. And so I'm going to honor that. Or I see beauty in that. And it may not be what I like personally. But I know that there's beauty in it. And I'm going to find something to honor. And I think there's I think there's a difference between walking to a room and just being critical. And just saying, well, I don't like that. And kind of being done with it. Or having a heart that says, man, I see that that could be better. And I want to try to help fix it. That's why I think being critical ends up in a healthy place. Do you see the difference? You guys with me? You guys falling asleep? Do you need to stand up for a second? Okay, well, if you need to stand up, no worries. I know it's been a long, probably a lot of late nights. It's healthy to bound. Your words show how much value you think a person has. Bless you. Your words are so important. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we are all finite expressions of the infinite God. We all have this imago Dei, this image of God inside of us, this stamp of God. And it can become weathered by trial and sin, but it cannot be completely erased ever. And honor and dishonor can either build up or break down creation. Honor fights to point out what, a, what God is doing in a person's life. And it's not a guarantee, but if you begin to look at someone and you start digging for what is gold in them, what is God in them, and you start pulling those things out, it's not a guarantee, but it's likely that they'll begin to become something honorable. Maybe there's not much to honor at first. You have to like really look for it. But if you start honoring it, if you start there, if you start fighting to pull out the godliness in someone, it's likely that they're going to become to look more like God. There's this book by G.K. Chesterton. It's called Orthodoxy. And in the book, he talks about, he compares two ancient cities, Rome and Pimlico. And Rome, I mean, we all know Rome, right? It was like this huge mega city. It's amazing. There's like, yeah, I don't know. It's a really cool city. Lots of people live there. It's like the epicenter of culture. It's like, it's a big deal, right? They take over like most of the world. And then you have Pimlico, which is a similar city. And the author basically says Rome became what it was because people chose to love Rome. They just chose to love it. But if people would have loved Pimlico in the same way, it could have become the same epicenter, the same sending agency, the same epicenter of the whole world at that time. 
became that is because people loved it. And if we think about that with people, people become lovable because we love them. Honor is not something that someone should have to earn from us, right? We honor them first. Trust may come later, and that's okay. God has given every single person pieces of himself and gifts, and even if they're being radically misused, there are still things to honor, and we can fight to find those things and pull them out. When we do this, people can see God's character and could return to him. That's the whole point, is that people see a glimpse of the Father. Jesus asks us to live out this, these, all these things in Romans 12 because Jesus is Romans 12. He literally laid down his whole life, gave up everything for you, and so he asks us to do that. What if our hearts and mouths died on the hill of honoring other people? What would our cultures look like? There's an article. I, it's not very long. You could Google it. You can just Google Tozer's Five Vows. And it is worth your time. It's so good. It's by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Some of you may have heard of him. He is a, an incredible theologian, man of God. He's written wonderful books. He's an old dead guy, so he's not alive now. But uh, his books still live on because they are very good. In this article, he has two vows in it that I want to highlight. The first one that I want to highlight is he says one of his five vows he makes before the Lord is that he will never say a bad word about anyone. That's hard. Never. The way he describes it is, he says in his article, if I hear a bad word about my brother, I'm going to take it in the backyard, I'm going to dig a hole, and I'm going to bury it, and it's going to die there. <laughs> yeah, he says, um, if I hear a bad word about my brother, I'm going to take it in the backyard, I'm going to dig a hole, and I'm going to bury it, and it's going to die there, and I'm not going to pass it on. Never say a bad word about anyone ever, when they're around or when they're not around. I think our minds immediately go to like when they're not around. And that's important. I think if someone starts trashing someone else with you, you have the freedom to say, I'm I'm not really gonna, I'm not gonna listen to that. There's there are honorable things about that person. And it's kinda awkward in the moment, but it's worth it. And it's okay to just shut it down. But when you are with someone, I I don't know what it is, but sarcasm has be, has become such a cultural norm. But in the moment when you want to be sarcastic, what if you ask the Holy Spirit, why do I want to be sarcastic and cut someone down right now? What's the root of that? Is it my insecurities? Is it that I want to feel big in this moment, or I want to feel witty, or I want to feel cool or accepted or whatever it is? Because the Holy Spirit can supply what you're lacking without you having to demean someone else. When I started school at UT San Antonio and met some small group leaders, um, one in particular became my small group leader. She lived with a group of three other girls, and I started spending a lot of time at their house. And I was a freshman in college, and I, I thought I hated women. I thought girls were the worst, which I was the worst. I didn't walk with God. I mean, I, I don't know why I thought that. I was the worst. But um, I grew up with only brothers, and I just thought girls are full of drama. They're mean. I don't like them. I start hanging out with these women, these godly women, and I spend enough time at their house to know that there are things that they could say about each other that are not kind, and they don't. Never. I never hear them say anything bad about each other months and months and months. 
I mean, I was blown away. It's one of the things that kept me in Chi Alpha because I was like, I know this is different. I've never seen anything like this. And it makes me want to be like that. It's really sweet. And if someone did start saying something negative, it was shut down and people repented right away. It was awesome. It was like they would start talking about something and it would start to digress and immediately someone would be like, you know what, that's actually not healthy. Lord, would you help us? I'm sorry. I don't want to talk like that. It's really special. The other vow I want to highlight from Tozer's Five Vows is never defend yourself. This is a hard one. Uh, a guy, a, a preacher I really love in Texas, he was talking about this book he was reading. And in the book, it talked about how basically when the devil rebelled and he said, I want to be God, and he took a third of a group of angels with him. I don't know if it was the seraphim or the cherubim. Some of y'all might know. But he took a third of one of those groups of angels with him, and they all left. And the question in the book was, why did God let them leave? God could have stamped that out right away and been like, there's no rebellion here. And the author basically said, does God want angels to worship him because they have a gun to their head if they don't? Or does God want angels to worship him because they choose to worship him? Does that make sense? And just the humility of God in saying, you can go. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to stamp this out. It's okay. That's pretty wild. So for us, it's like, how could I defend my, I'm not even God. How could I put a stake in the ground and say, I must defend myself when the God of the universe, the only one who is worthy of all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the praise didn't even do that. Right? We think about Jesus before his accusers. Silent like a sheep going to the slaughter. Never defend yourself. What would your culture look like if you, if someone said something negative about you or something offensive and you just took it and loved them anyway? And how much more free would you feel if you didn't have to internalize that and fight back? Whatever you nurture in your soul will manifest in your culture. It will build out in the culture you're creating. And you are creating a culture. Whether you're a freshman or you're a staff member, the way you live your life in community matters and has deep impact. This idea of honoring people, it has to be communicated. Because if people come in, they don't know. They don't know people's backstories. Someone could meet me and just think like, oh, that's her personality. It's not at all. My flesh is as strong as anyone else's. And there's something really yucky in me that when something happens and I just want to talk about it because it like feels good in the moment, like that's as real to me as it is for anyone else. It's not personality. It's conviction. It's saying over my dead body, am I going to slander someone else? I'm not going to do it. It doesn't honor God. And sin can either be one of commission or omission. It's saying something negative or it's saying nothing at all. So maybe you're a quiet person. You're like, well, I don't, I don't slander. I don't say bad things. But are you fighting to be intentional to say, 
good things that honor God and other people, it's good. It's healthy. It glorifies Jesus. And it's not, honoring is not just being complimentary. It's not just blowing smoke. It's not like, you know, sometimes you feel insecure and you're like, I'm just going to give compliments. I love your hair. Love your, I don't know what to say, but I just love, you know. And I mean, those things are genuine a lot. I don't mean they're always from a place of like, I don't know what to say, but uh, it's, that's not what I mean by honor. What I mean by honor is, is valuing God in people. So you find things that look like him and you pull those things out. Some friends of ours are missionaries on this tiny little island outside of Africa, and uh, they, they were with us this past fall, and the wife was telling me that their team lives by these convictions. And I think this idea of a culture of honor looks like this holistically. And, and I think Eli hit on so many of these things last night so well. But this conviction of open hands, open heart, open home. And what it means is, open hands means I, I don't own anything, which is another one of Tozer's vows. But nothing is just mine. Everything's on the table. Everything can be shared. There's nothing I hold so tightly that I can't share it. And I, I feel like I keep learning. If there's anything that I have that I'm not willing to share, it probably owns me. I probably am not worthy to have it. And I don't think you should take this and be irresponsible. I don't think you should be like, hey, mom and dad, thanks for the $30,000 car. I'm going to give it away. You know, if your parents buy you something, like, don't just, like, give it away without talking to them or whatever. Um, or, yeah, be responsible with this idea. I don't, my parents don't support me, so if I give things away, they're my own to give away. Y'all know what I'm saying? You with me? Okay. Please don't go home, tell your parents you gave away your, you know, $1,000 phone because you're in a breakout and the missionary told you to. Open hands or open heart means that I live a life of vulnerability. It means I'm open and I'm honest, and it means that my heart is on display for you. And and I think open heart also means like we walk together in some of the. I think a big conviction that's been lost sometimes in our communities is is this idea of confession. But grabbing a trusted friend and saying, I'm going to confess my stuff to you because I want someone to walk through it with me. And I'm not going to be too prideful to invite someone in to the dark areas of my life and do it together. And then open home means even my home is not a sanctuary. It's not a place where people aren't welcome. It's everything I have. It is not my own. It's been given to me by God, including my space. And again, all of these you probably could take to an irresponsible place. So, you know, I'm not going to let, like, a stranger come and just stay with my kids alone in my house. Right? That's not what I mean. I just mean your house is not yours to, to hold fast and to keep people out of, but it's a place to invite people into. And you have to be responsible with these things. And as you start to live in a culture that honors, I think these things start to come to fruition. You realize that the, the point of my life is to glorify Jesus. 
and what I say and what I do and how I live. And it can become something really beautiful and it can infect your culture. Do you guys have any questions? Yeah, that's a good question. That is really hard. His question was, how do you navigate, um, I guess more, probably more so on a staff level, how do you navigate needing to talk through something hard, like with students that needs to be talked through, but still honor? And it is really hard because honor is not just ignoring facts and being naive. It's, it's looking at things the way they are. Um, but I think, I think there just has to be a real intentionality in including the Holy Spirit and paying attention to when your spirit gets into a place of, now I'm just talking, and I'm not actually, I'm not doing something fruitful anymore, and I think in those moments, we just we just repent immediately and say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want it to go there. Let's get back onto what needs to be talked about, and and just being careful that you, you talk about things that really need to be talked about, and not just everything. Yeah. I think interpersonally, it's, I think it's different on a staff level. There are things that have to be discussed, but interpersonally, it's um, it's important to just talk to the person you want to talk about. If it's that important, just tell them. And if it's not that important, you don't need to talk about it, period. That's a good question. Uh, we, I don't know how other staff teams operate. We as a staff team, um, if there's like a serious threat of self-harm, uh, we typically be involved the, the campus police. Um, and then if, if other staff members need to be notified for some reason, we, we do, but um, if not, then we, we don't. It depends, I think, on the situation, but. Yeah, my friend Eli says, if someone says something bad about me, I just let it go. But if someone says something bad about something else, I'm going to fight it. And I think that's kind of healthy. Every situation is so different, too. You know, so press into the Holy Spirit. But, um, yeah, if someone starts talking about a friend of mine or even someone else I don't know and it's trashing, I, I, I try really hard to just shut it down and... Either it, and it can be so awkward, but it, just either changing the subject or, or just being like, hey, I, I don't want to talk about this. I'm sorry, this isn't really honoring, and I don't think this honors God. And sorry, I'm talking about something else.
Yeah, that's a really great question. Like practically. Oh man, okay. Let me give you a real life example. My friend Anna Virginia, I don't know if she's still in here. She is a newer friend to me, but um, she joined our staff team this year. And when I think about Anna Virginia, I think about how trustworthy she is and how reliable she is. And she's always willing to serve. And so when I'm telling her thank you, I'm telling her those things. Like, I'm, thank you so much for being so trustworthy. Thank you for being reliable. Thank you for being a servant-hearted person. Thank you for sacrificing so that others can be welcomed into the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times it's, you know, she sacrifices personally a lot for that. And so trying to honor things like that in people. My friend Katie, oh, I love her. We've been friends for a long time, and Katie Bohm, she, she is just the most honest and vulnerable person. So I try to honor those things in her. And she does things with excellence. Like, she really fights to do things to her best ability because she loves Jesus, and she wants him to be glorified. And so she really fights for that. And so those are things that, off the top of my head, I would honor in those people, you know. And a new friend that you're, you're meeting but a lot of us probably need a lot of, oh, there you are, Anna Virginia. We need a lot of people every year probably that don't walk with God yet, right? And so you're like, oh, man, how am I going to, what do I honor in this person? But there are things to honor. Maybe they, maybe they can articulate things really well and have a gift for communication. Maybe God has gifted them with the ability to make people laugh or to help people have fun. Maybe God has gifted them with an ability to lead the room. You know, these aren't necessarily things that people would use. Like, they, they can use them apart from the kingdom of God, just like almost anything. But there are things to honor. I think we, we look for those things. And I think what Mary was saying the other night about knowing God really deeply so you can spot what's false. I think the more you know God, the easier it is to spot him in people. So I think as you draw near to Jesus, you, you see people and you start to see pieces of him in them. But if you don't, if you don't know Jesus well, I don't know that you're going to be able to spot him. She asked, how do you go about correcting someone who tends to be more critical than honoring? I think it depends on how much influence they've given you in their life. Firstly, you know, if you have a place to speak to that. If you do, then, you know, pray a lot and ask the Lord to help you not um, see them just for the things they're doing wrong, um, but to see his character in them and to see what he wants to do and to, to give you vision for what it could be like. And, and then cast that vision for them as you talk to them. And I, I do it one-on-one -on -one if possible. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm not an expert, so I'm doing, trying my best.
I think you need the Holy Spirit to help you discern that line. <laughs> oh, I think you need the Holy Spirit to help you discern whether or not that's something that needs to be communicated for their highest good, for them not to misinterpret the Lord, or if you just, you don't want to be misinterpreted. I think you have to help, I think the Holy Spirit has to help you discern which one it is. And then if it's, if the Lord could be misinterpreted, it's worth correcting, I think. Depends on what it is, I think. I don't know. It's so uh, circumstantial. I don't know. I think you need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I think you need the Holy Spirit to help you. No, like, is it healthier for me to stay in this? Or is it healthier for me to step out and address people individually later or do whatever else he directs me to do? So... Realizing I'm really not answering any questions. I'm just saying, ask the Holy Spirit to answer every time. She asked, how do you stay in... Um, a place of bowing to God and other people? And how do you stay in a place where you honor others? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think the Lord is so faithful to bring us to places where we recognize our dependence and we have really obvious opportunities to bow. We have really obvious opportunities that are like, okay, Lord, Yep, I can't do this. Like everything I offer to you is a half offering and Jesus comes in and makes it the full offering. Like there's, Jesus is the one who can do all of this, not me. And I need him to do it. Um, no behavioral change, no grit, no amount of discipline is gonna really transform my heart. It's Jesus. And so I, I think the best way to stay there is to fight to stay dependent on Jesus. I think what Mary said the other night about the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil is so important because every day you're going to have to quiet the flesh inside of you. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight. And I, I think that the best way is, is with scriptures, with the word of God. You're going to have to fight the flesh. You're going to have to fight the culture around you. And you're going to have to be aware of and fight the enemy who really, really does not want Jesus to be glorified. And I think that's a big one. I think discipline plays, plays a big, big role in it, but we need Jesus to transform us and build these convictions in us. And over time, they'll just, they'll feel more natural because it's what you've pressed into. And if you can, if you can rally a few people around you, if you can link arms with some people and say, let's change our culture together, you can. 
You can. It, it would be really hard alone, but if you can find two people, one on each side, and say, these are healthy things. Let's fight to change our culture together so that Jesus is lifted up here and glorified, then you can do it. You can do it. Well, great. Well, can I pray for you guys before you go and have lunch? Jesus, I pray that uh, you would be honored as we leave here. God, that you would transform us into people that, that think about your glory more than we think about ourselves. I pray that we'd be people that prefer the people around us more than ourselves, that we count others more highly. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to bow. I pray, Jesus, that you would Give us vision for our cultures and our kayafas. And God, that you would give us the, the grace and the wisdom to help it get there or to help it stay there. And I pray, Lord, that as we honor each other, as we fight to pull out pieces of your character in one another, that you are glorified, that people are brought back to the fold of God, that, um, that your kingdom increases, Jesus because we've chosen to live in a way that honors you and thinks of you first and then others around us. I love you, Jesus. I thank you just for who you are and all you've done for us and you're worth, you're worth it all. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.